On this episode of Star Wars Time Show, Nick is back from Batuu, so the boys will be talking some new toy releases, Black Series, and figure arts, as well as some Baby Yoda merch. Spoiler, it sucks. They'll also be talking about the latest episode of Star Wars Resistance, the latest episode of The Mandalorian. They're going to be diving into all the interviews J.J.'s been doing about Tross, and then they'll kind of wrap things up before the top five, discussing Tross's finalized runtime, boo, as well as the first clip that has been released from the film. And of course, it's the primetime show. They will end with the top five Star Wars fan artist features of the week. Cue the music. Welcome to a brand new and prime time version of Star Wars Time Show. And as you heard, our friend is back. He got his ass back in his busted ass T-65 and flew back to Texas from Batuu after spending a week down at Galaxy's Edge. So Nick is back. He's ready to work. He's ready to talk all things Star Wars. But before we get into the litany of topics you just heard the sexy announcer talk about... We're going to talk to Nick about what it's like to go to Batu, and if you don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, you're probably not a real Star Wars fan, so bye bye But anyways, <laughs> Nick spent the past week down at Galaxy's Edge living like a king. He was there for a week straight, made multiple stops at the park. So he's here now. He survived. He was not kidnapped. No one took out a bounty on his ass and locked him up in the brig. So Nick... Good to have you back, my friend. Yes, good to be back. I'm glad so, to be back with the show. It's always nice when my Chewbacca is back in the co-pilot seat. I mean, we, we tried a, a co-pilot last week, had a little tech <laughs> fuck up on, on yeah. Jared's end, Sir Dork, but it is what it is. Nick's back, but I'm glad you're here, man, because you know, you've been kind of giving me the down low on Galaxy's Edge through our, our secret communicators that we use during the week when we're not podcasting. And uh, for the most part, it sounds like you had a pretty pleasant time, as well as you're going to be able to report to us what's really happening at Galaxy's Edge, because as you know, there's been kind of a movement these days, anything Star Wars, you're always going to have the trolls trying to tear it down, but a lot of people have been claiming that Galaxy's Edge is a bust, it's a waste, it's already dead, and Disney's looking to close the parks, but I think Nick has a different story to tell. So dude, let's hear it, man. Give us... How to fully enjoy Galaxy's Edge, according to Nick from Star Wars Time. Yeah, so first off, like you were mentioning, Matt, just to address the rumors that are out there, at least from what I saw when I was there, the park was not dead at all. Like, there was a minimum wait of 50 to 55 minutes for the Millennium Falcon ride. That was basically all the time. Like there were a few times very either early in the morning, like when the park first opened up or very, very late in the day when the park was about to close where the, the wait time would dip below that. Um, but other than that, the, the ride was always packed. And the people in there, there was always a ton of people. I, I never felt like I was walking down any, any you know, corridors or any sections of the park by myself. So I don't know if that's something that they're experiencing in California. But um, 
Florida, Orlando is definitely alive and well, and people okay, are yeah, gravitating I mean, towards it. Even some of the videos you sent, you, you could tell that this place isn't a ghost town. And, and you were there, as you said, kind of on an odd <sighs> week where it should have been even more dead than usual, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, I went... So a, a ton of people came in on Saturday, the day I left, because it's Thanksgiving week. Kids are off of school. Uh, parents can take some time off of work. So really, the crush of people came in the day that I left. Um, and I was there during a period of time where typically, you know, kids are still in school. People are still working. There's no holidays. And, and, and that's usually when you'll get a lot of downtime, a lot of dead time in these parks. But Galaxy's Edge was still very, very um, well packed. There was a wait time to get into the the food cantina. I mean, this. Right, yeah. So speaking about some of the attractions, yeah. it, it sounds like you got to do all of them outside of obviously the Resistance ride because I don't think exactly. that finishes until what end of December. Or yes. Um, yes. So I guess for people that might not have been there yet, me. <laughs> I mean, if you had to pick just one of the attractions, be it the Falcon Ride, the Lightsaber Build, the Droid Build, the Cantina, am I missing any? Um, no, yeah. This, so that's about so, it. So what right was now. your favorite attraction? I, I mean, the, the Falcon Ride is so well done. I actually did you pilot did it because I've heard from our intern that piloting is probably the best way to go. I did. So I rode it twice. The first time I rode through it, I waited in the standard line. Like there's a, you know, like I said, 50, 55 minute wait. You wait in line. You go through all of the designs of the line that fucking Disney built for you. You get right behind the Falcon. It's a very cool way to, to wait for a ride. Um, the second time I did it, I will say this. There are no fast passes for the Millennium Falcon ride yet officially. But if you have a disability pass... Oh, then, you scumbag. <laughs> I did not I didn't have the disability pass. One of my party members did. So I was there with 13 people. Um somebody Holy in hell, my party like all Cam, all Caminitas or did you bring in some other people um, off the street? There were some for there were some other passes. There were some others. So my brother brought his girlfriend. I was there with my girlfriend. Um we had some extended family, aunts and uncles and cousins as well, but all very, you know, all within the Caminita sphere of, of you know, Got influence. Um, but if you have a disability pass, what you can do is you can approach the ride operators and ask them for a return time. And what they'll do is they'll usually give you a time about an hour after you approach them to come back. And then you can go through the fast pass line. Um, so we oh. were the only people to go through the fast pass line. We got right up there. We had a party of five with us. Because you can't bring your whole party through with a disability pass. The person with the disability has to pick and choose a certain number of people who can go with them. Um, so with a party of five, that essentially fills every seat on the ride. You, you ride with six people. And with those six people, you are assigned either pilot, gunner, or engineer. There's two of each. Um, the first time I rode, uh, my girlfriend and I were both engineers. I will that, say that sounds pretty beat. Was that all right or no? It's I will say that with the engineers, it's kind of weird because everything that's happening in the ride is happening on the screen in front of you. But the engineers have to hit a lot of different buttons. So you're like you're looking off to the side, hitting your buttons as fast as you can. OK, yeah. So you can't really see everything. Yeah. Playing out. 
Second time, my girlfriend and I got the pilot seats. I was the left pilot. She was the right pilot. So we did get to pay attention to the screen the whole time, which was fantastic. And, and you're right. Ryan, the intern, was 100% right. Um, it's the best way to do the ride because you don't have to distract yourself with buttons on the side or anything right. like that. You are f- totally focused but, on Yeah, he said, ride. I guess, I mean, he didn't know, so he, he took the gunner seat. But apparently his pilot was a moron. Yeah like just stupid to where they didn't even know to hit the the hyperspace lever yeah and he's like that, dude it's like <laughs> it's literally like fucking flashing with forward lights signaling that you should push it forward and this dumb fuck would not do it that was my first pilot as well i like i i i was sitting there and i was watching the two pilots and i was like god damn it i wish that i was doing because i would have done better and so right. i think it proves that most people are just really fucking stupid. Yeah. And I mean, they were and, older people. Like these were probably the two people in the pilot seat the first time were probably in their fifties. Yeah, so. Tough shit. It's a flashing <laughs> light. I mean, if you like star Wars, you should know how to fly the fucking millennium Falcon. We've seen it enough on screen people. Yeah. And that's the best part about it is like what you see on screen is almost perfectly represented within the ride itself. You know, the, the lever that Han pulls to go into hyperspace, same one. The, 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 the joysticks or the, 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 you know, mechanisms for turning and steering, very similar. I mean, it's such a well-crafted ride. And the cool part about it and, and what really separates this from, from basically any other ride in, in Disney is that it's point-based. So most rides, you ride the ride, it's the same shit. It doesn't matter. Every time you ride, it's the same. This one is point-based. So every time you run into something, you lose points because you damage the ship. If you take too long to recover the, can- the first canister of uh, coaxium, then you get less time to recover the second one. If you don't recover the second one, you get less points. So really, the best way to ride that ride is like you find five other people that you're like you work well with and then yeah, y'all are dummies. Go, yeah. Y'all go together and you try to get the highest score that you can. Do you know like I mean, is there an advantage for getting a high score? Do you get any extra time in the ride? Or could you lose time in the ride if you really suck balls? Or it's just, hey, you get posted probably on a leaderboard for the day or the year. You're like, look, our crew is the best. Eat our balls. Yeah, I think it might be like a daily leaderboard that, that will show up and, and everything like that. The maximum score you can get is 13,000. It's basically 13,000 credits you would get right. for the job. So it's um, not like it, the real Chewbacca comes out and gives no. you a fucking high five if you do really good. No, nothing like that, but it's bragging, right? So like the first time we went through the ride, I think, my, our total score was like five, five like 5,400 credits. When, when Taylor and I were piloting and I was there with my brother and his girlfriend and, and um, you know, my cousin, my little cousin who was with us in the engineer spot, we ended up with like 9,600. So significantly better score when people kind of know what they're doing a little bit. Um, yeah, but- so Nick's, Nick's tips on the Falcon ride, make sure your friends aren't stupid and if you're with strangers, ask them if they're stupid. Yeah, and if they like, say yes, then be like, maybe you should be an engineer. Yeah, basically angle to get that pilot seat because the way that they do it is they'll give you like cards that assign you certain things. So if you could like sneak over to those strangers and be like, hey, you mind if I pilot? You know, maybe try to sneak that away from them. All um, right. So in terms of like the other stuff, 
the big money things like the, the saber money. and the droid. What, what, what do you recommend if you could only do one or the other? The the saber one was an absolutely incredible experience. I think Matt, you saw and you posted one of the videos that I had from the from the saber experience. Yeah, those videos I just now got on my computer, so I'll, I'll yeah. try and upload them for you tomorrow if you're going to do any sort of post for Galaxy's yeah. Edge. But I mean, using Facebook like we did. You can't save them directly on a desktop, so I had to learn that, and then I had to learn that I need my phone, and then I had to airdrop them over to my desktop. Yeah, so. it's. I tried to send them over Slack, and yeah, it's super it's a, weird. But <laughs> it's a big, big circle jerk. But yeah, we'll, we'll eventually have some Nick Nick videos. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, the the saber one is super fantastic. It's very ceremonial. Um, so the way that it works is, you know, and this is something that I will preface by saying, this goes for all of like the 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 attractions for whether it be a saber going to Oga's cantina or doing a droid build, make sure you book this. If you're, if you're going to Disney and you know, you want to do galaxy's edge stuff, you can book time slots ahead of time, like months in advance. Make sure you do that because these are very, very popular attractions. Um, so the way that the saber build works is I literally had to like the good thing about galaxy's edges it's built in a way where it's not very obvious where things are. That may sound confusing, but it gives you opportunities to interact with the people who work there, and it's their job to stay in character. Like, I'm going around, I'm looking for Savvy's Workshop. I'm expecting it to say, like, Savvy's Workshop in big letters on the fucking thing, like everything else in Disney, but it doesn't. Things are written in our best. You can't read them. Some things are, you know, tucked away because... The storyline of Batu is that they're trying to hide the fact that people are making lightsabers here. Like, they tell you when you leave the lightsaber thing, if any of the First Order see you with this, don't tell them you got it here. So the immersive... Do you think any of the people working there in character at, at the end of the day want to jump off a bridge? Oh, I'm sure some of them do. Like, for example, when I was doing, <laughs> like, the lightsaber build, one of the first things you do is, like, you walk up to the Savvy's Workshop people and... You say, like, you know, I'm here, I have a, you know, you still can talk in, like, regular terms. You're like, I have, do you have a reservation? And they ask you that. I was like, yes, I do. Here it is. So I was, I was getting ready to kind of go in the You should have rolled in just speaking hotties. Like yeah, that, I know. You know, the just guy Mando. The shit hey, Mando. Oh, man, that would have been great. But. Bonta. <laughs> one of the girls who was working there was clearly new. And she's like, oh, you can use your, your kyber crystal inside of the experience and she meant to say communicator and she caught herself and she's like oh i'm sorry i meant to say communicator i'm new here and i was like it's okay no big deal you um, should have ratted her out and then like the, the disney mouseketeers take her outside and execute her yeah it's like she screwed it up um so you you go up you pick your the style of saber that you want to make so there's four styles and matt had knows this i sent him a picture of essentially the saber menu you have a um, a power style lightsaber, which is essentially a Sith saber. Um, you have a guardian style lightsaber, which is kind of uh, like a Jedi consular, kind of like a you know like a Jedi style lightsaber. You have a a nature based one, which is the one that I chose, which is really kind of crafted out of like, you know, Rancor Tooth was a piece of it. You know, you have like um, ivory from certain creatures that was a piece of it. And then like 
you know, leather wrap, stuff like that. And you have one other Jedi-based one. So you go and you pick one. They give you a very nice pin to indicate the style that you want. And then they take you into the experience in groups of nine people. Um, and they enclose you within this, this chamber where you have the, you know, a guy who introduces, you know, this is the meaning of, of the lightsaber. These are the famous people who've used it. They go through the crystal colors and they, you know, say, you know, green used by Luke Skywalker, Master Yoda. Um, they, they go through all of the different lightsaber colors. Um, in that experience, I think I told you this in our, in our communication channel, Matt. They actually refer to Rey as a new potential Jedi, because um, they're like, oh yes, there's a a girl. Do you know her? And everybody says, yeah, Ray. And she's like, yes, the new Jedi. Um, it's a very, it's a fantastic experience. Um, so they go, kind of go through that spiel. They bring out your pieces. You pick and choose the pieces that you want to assemble your lightsaber. You put them all together, and then there's a moment when you finish building your hilt and you and you install your crystal where they kind of take them from you and they're like, okay, now it is time to, to activate your sabers. And they kind of plug them into the side of the table. And at the time you can't see what it is, but what they're doing is they're installing the blade. So they lower all the lights. And then the guy says like, you know, on the count of three, everybody ignite your sabers and everybody turns them on and the, the room lights up different colors. And then everybody kind of lifts their saber out and their blades are, you know, everybody's kind of moving their blades around. It's a fantastic experience. Um, that's the one thing. If you're going to do a, either a droid build or a lightsaber, I would recommend the lightsaber. Um, the droid one feels very kind of scrapyardish. You're just kind of going there and you're picking off pieces out of a, uh, a conveyor belt. Then you build your droid, stuff like that. But the saber one's fantastically done. Um, the reverence, the ceremony, um, the elegance of the whole situation is fantastic. So, yeah. Excellent, excellent. So, yeah, I mean, I... I... I think the rides obviously should be the the standouts because you don't technically have to pay extra for them. And Disney does rides correct; they're not really even rides; they're more experiences. So yeah, exactly. That's good to hear. I mean, I I hate that you, you may have to like work over some strangers to make sure you get the pilot stuff. But I mean, this is twice now I've heard that definitely go pilot. So I'm checking that off. I, I've made a mental note of that as as well as the lightsabers. So. As Nick said, even if you're going, it doesn't matter what time of year, the week, you should always try to lock up reservations if possible. That way, you don't have to worry about it, right, Nick? You, yes. you know you've got a time, you can get there, because you just can't predict what Batu would be like on any given day. But, honestly, talking to Nick offline and now here, I mean, it, it pretty much sounds like what a Star Wars fan would want, so I'm still jealous he got to go first. <laughs> I may need to try and at least dip in for a day or two come March when my spring break happens, but that could be a busy time, so I don't know. Maybe I'll wait for the Halcyon to be built and really spend money through my teeth. Oh, yeah. Um, but sounds like fun. Glad Nick had a good time, and uh, yeah, he's cooler than us. <laughs> we are uh, we're hard workers, and Nick is a lazy bum that just vacations all the time. That's so me. That's, that's, that's what me. happens. <laughs> All right, man, let's go ahead and get into all these freaking topics we got this week for our Star Wars buddies that listen to the Star Wars Time Show. And we love you out there. You know, people like Greg, Jesse, Jared, Trevor, Jason. Spencer Barron. 
Spencer, yeah, let's keep adding to the list of friends. You're all our friends. So, all right, friends, here we go. Getting into the toy stuff first. We got a, a bunch of new toy re- releases, announcements, previews, yeah, thanks to, I think, Tokyo Comic Con and just the insane popularity wave that The Mandalorian is ex- is experiencing right now. So we'll go ahead and start with The Mandalorian, Nick. We got a preview of a new figure who is also up for pre-order, and I think the reason this guy kind of got his glamour shot pre-order details is because he was kind of a, a, a surprise star in The Mandalorian Episode 3, and that is the heavy Mando, you know, the guy in blue who more or less didn't like our Mando at first, but then they were buddies. Yeah. So, Nick, this guy, is he's now up for pre-order at Best Buy, twenty nine ninety nine. I mean, it's a good-looking figure, but I think what's even cooler now about this character is at the end of episode three, we learned that this heavy Mando is a Vizsla. Yes. And if if you are anything, if you are a Star Wars fan worth your salt, as they say, you'll, you'll know that name. You should know it well. It was first brought up in the Clone Wars. I don't know. I think the Vizslas are also in Rebels a bit too, right? Vizslas go way, way back too because... In- yeah, they were like one of the first main Man- Mandalorian yeah. clans. I mean, they go back to Old Republic because Shea Vizsla was one of the main characters that you interact with um, in a couple of the expansions from Star Wars The Old Republic MMO. So they go way, way back. So yeah, Vizsla Right, so I mean, just it, it's another little awesome nugget lore connection that the Mandalorian has given us without really even putting it in our faces. I mean, we wouldn't even know that this was a Vizsla outside of the credits. And it's also, there's a cool little um, point about this guy. He was voiced by Jon Favreau, who also voiced pre-Vizsla in the Clone Wars. So it's kind of like this little symbiotic circle, right? Midichlorians, symbiosis (laughs) and shit. Jon Favreau really doing some magic with Star Wars. So, Heavy Mando Black Series, $29.99. Grab them now on Best Buy. If you need the link, you can head to StarWarsTime.net or the Exclude Collective to grab that. Uh, up next, we also got some new teases of SH Figure Arts figures, specifically from The Mandalorian, The Rise of Skywalker, fun stuff like that. So, Nick, I think the thing that stood out to me, finally... We have a commitment from one of these 112 scale figure makers that they're going to make the whole goddamn set of the Knights of Ren. Actually, I think we're still missing one. I believe. Is there six or five? Oh, man. I'm not sure. There's six. I'm going with right? five because I'm thinking we saw him finally for the first time in one of these new Tross TV spots, which Nick and I aren't going to cover at this point because. Uh, they're going to be coming out left and right, and it's just like, fuck. I mean, who's got – there's not enough time in the day to cover all the promo at this there's, point. Yeah, there's a ton. Either way, there's five. They're, they're going to come out in figure arts form. At this point, we only have the one coming out in Black Series, which I find to be odd. Maybe Hasbro will pick that up. Uh, but we got some glamour shots of the Knights if you want to check it out. It was also revealed that we're going to get some more figure arts from the Mando, so – We'll, we'll be getting IG-11. We're going to be getting an Imperial Remnant Stormtrooper, who I'm digging. they got some nice weathering and wear and tear. Uh, we're going to get some Scout Troopers on a scout, uh, on a speeder bike, just like the ones you saw in Return of the Jedi. Uh, we also got some new hot toy shots and other things, but yeah. I'll throw some of that stuff in the video version of the podcast. But before we move on from all these toys and get into our buddy Baby Yoda... Uh, we're also getting a SH Figure Arts version of The Mandalorian, and I have to say, Nick, 
he is looking sexy. Oh yeah. From the figure arts. I mean, I love the the, the soft cape. He just he just looks cleaner than the Black Series version of the Mando, which which I like. I have both of them, but this figure arts version of Mando is fucking slick. Oh yeah, I I wish that they would have you know either gone with or included the replacement Beskar armor that he wears, you know, post episode three, for those of you who have been keeping up. Yeah. Did it, um, hey, we fucked that prediction up too, right? Yeah. We, Didn't I you say that maybe thought, he would start with it and then get, <laughs> it would get beat down to the shit armor. Yeah. That's kind of okay. what I first thought. And then even after that, when we saw the first episode of Mando, I was like, okay, well maybe he'll kind of get it piece by piece as the season progresses wrong there as well. Look, yeah, we don't that, claim that, that, to be, Right. You know, no, we're so predictions. far we're batting a thousand on missing speculations and predictions, and that's kind of how we're gonna roll. I'm proud of that. Yeah. I'm yeah. proud that we have not hit on anything yet. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Um we also got a look at and I'm not to say this thing's wonky as fuck, but there there's gonna be an SH figure arts uh Emperor Throne Room set, which is coming with the Emperor, his chair, and two uh, Imperial Guards and I don't know, dude. There's there's just something off about the Emperor in these glamour shots. I mean, it's like his his head's fucked up looking. Yeah. I don't know if it's the hood or what, but but something's not right. I think it's the, it's his hood, right? The, like, yeah, like, like the, the hood, hood and the way it frames like his face. It seems like it's too big. Like yes, it, yes. It, it covers like it shadows too much, specifically in like the top left image on the post that we have on starwarstime.net, like it covers too much of his face. Um, that's, yeah, that's, I can definitely see that as an odd kind of. Yeah. And, and I can't tell if his, if his uh, robe's going to be cloth or not. I mean, in some images it looks plastic. Others, it looks like it's hanging. In the end, people, if you collect toys, I'll tell you right now, if you got your hands on the recently released black series version of Palpatine with his throne, go for that i think it's 39.99 it's way cheaper than this plus the the imperial guards that come with this they're all fucking plastic like plastic little towels they wear over top of themselves Uh, yeah so beat if you want my advice go ahead and pre-order the mando maybe the uh, imperial remnant stormtrooper from the figure arts line the other ones you might as well get the black series counterparts Okay, moving on with our last new kind of merch uh, piece. And this one uh, we had to put out there just because anything Baby Yoda Yoda Baby is is hot these days. It is Star Wars in, as they would say. I mean, at this point, Baby Yoda has almost single-handedly brought the Star Wars fandom back together. Yeah. That's at least until someone says something about Tross or TLJ in this circle and then shit start getting tribal again. But anyways, today is the first day you could actually go out and get yourselves some Baby Yoda merchandise. But as my post title implies, it ain't worth your time. I mean, unless you really need another Star Wars shirt, these early uh, bits of Baby Yoda merch are whack. Yeah, I, I would I would wait on it. You know, we've heard from John Favreau himself that that we're supposed to be getting uh, Baby Yoda merchandise ahead of the holiday season. I hope this isn't it. Well, that no, dude today was literally like an official. Okay, here's the first wait holiday baby thing, and this is what they're offering. It's literally the fucking concept art image of Baby Yoda, 
plastered on various pieces of shit yeah. you'd have laying around your house, be yeah. it shitty T-shirts or shitty mugs or shitty cups, shitty keychains. I mean, it is the biggest cash grab I've ever seen from Lucasfilm 100%. because they, they know how hot this little dude is right now. And, and I have to wonder, Nick, like, did they – did they really think Star Wars fandom had become so ugly and hateful that when we saw this little green little green guy, we wouldn't instantly fall in love with him and crave collectibles and shit? Like how 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 is this lineup of literally iron-on decal t-shirts? I mean, these are like boardwalk style t-shirts. You <laughs> go to any beach boardwalk, right? Pick a fucking decal off the wall and then slap it on whatever cheap piece of shit shirt you throw up there. Yeah, I mean, in my opinion, you had to have a doll ready to go. Like, yeah, I, I mean, a plush figure. Like, that is exactly. Yeah, uh, okay, there you go. At least a plushie. I mean, I, I can see Hot Toys. Yeah, I mean, that, that would take a while. You got to develop the product, get the sculpt done, marketing, all that. But, I mean, they have nothing. It's literally the concept art image plastered on tchotchkes. Yeah, and, like, that's the thing that annoys me the most is that it's the same image on everything. Like, it least get him in a different pose like he's done a lot of different things like you could have taken him from the episode two where he's sitting in the crib and he's like reaching out with the force to to fucking lift up the the creature that mando was fighting like anything i mean yeah this is a cool looking concept you know piece of art but like very what's on there a little bit so i mean it is disappointing that this is the 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 first and only um, set of merchandise that we got for the child as they're calling it so if you're on Disney shop Amazon or anything like that don't search baby Yoda because it probably won't come up you have to search the child and then the Mandalorian and then you'll find it yeah so you know me dude I'm a I'm a freak when it comes to collecting and obviously I want something of baby Yoda yeah so, I, I mean, I, I, I clicked on that link faster than shit through a goose, and then it just comes up with all this stuff, uh, and I go, what? Like, I, I, trust me, I'm one of these drones, Kool-Aid drinkers that, that literally worships at Lucasfilm licensing altars, all right? I, I, I'm, I'm the reason George is a billionaire, <laughs> and I'm one of those fans that, well, you know, I, I, I've been buying from the machine for almost my entire life, and I'm going to be 40 next July. All right, so it's just like, man, who fucked this up? Like, how how do you not see this concept art a year ago and go, all right, we need motherfucking dolls, we need hot toys, we need black series, we need figure arts, we need the motherfucking egg crib that he floats around in. We need that for kids to drive around like Power Wheels. It's like, what what happened? Yeah, the only thing that I can think of, and, and Favreau kind of hit on this a little bit when asked about the merch initially, he was like, we made no merch initially because we wanted to make sure that this would not leak in yeah. any way yeah i mean that's that's really the only reason but still it's like fuck people come on yeah i know give me my hot toys one-to-one scale baby yoda i, I think even <laughs> nick himself would buy one of those i would i would get i mean like the baby yoda is so because they do they did a one-to-one baby group for GOTG2, and yeah. he, he's fantastic. And he's like, they cost under 200 bucks because they're not that big. It's like, ah, oh, I just, I want this thing. I wish I could make a real one, but I don't know how to get green jism. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? We have to get in touch with the uh, clone doctor. Yeah, doctor, I got to, you know, Dr. give me Pershing. Dr. Pershing's cell number. I got to give him a call. 
So that, that's kind of our, our merch segment for this primetime cast. So we're going to move on to some, you know, actual real stuff. The stuff that makes the toys get made so we waste money on them and buy them. And those are Star Wars shows, series, cartoons we ever talk about. So I know we kind of missed Star Wars Resistance last week. So we, we didn't really do anything for Episode 7 because Nick was out. Uh, Jared doesn't watch a show. Jared's mic stem fucking shit to bed anyways. And then I had to redo the show. And at that point, I was like, F-U-C-K this. So... We're just going to quickly go through Star Wars Resistance Rendezvous Point, which is quite a good episode. This yeah. is S2E8. It's the most recent. Uh, so just kind of starting off with some of the Easter eggs, Nick. We'll kind of drive the conversation from there. But uh, we had we had some pretty good ones. Like I said, this was a good episode. We were back to the First Order plot thread, and we met a new pretty awesome character in Vanessa Doza, who is Tora, Tora's mom and, and Emmanuel's. Doesn't he sound like a porn star now? Emmanuel, Emmanuel Dosa. Emmanuel Dosa. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can see him just like getting getting all saucy and sexy. But anyways, first up, and, and I don't know, I, I kind of question if this was a, a, a valid one or not, but I think it was after some research. But Vanessa's helmet, it, it was styled very much like an A-wing pilot's helmet from, you know, the first time we saw that was in ROTJ when the dude essentially kamikazes through yeah. one of the Star Destroyers. So that was a nice little uh, nod. Uh, her X-Wing, we saw at the beginning of the episode, Nick, it gets caught in the tractor beam. And it was very similar to how the Falcon kind of got roped into the Death Star and placed within its hangar. Gotta watch out when you're around these, these Star Destroyers. I, I know, it's Death like, come, stars, on. come how, on. How have the good guys not invented a uh, tractor beam repulsor beam at yeah. this point in time? Or just, like, figure out the range. Just don't get that <laughs> fucking close. Like, something right. to do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the next one also involving Vanessa, but she, I don't know if people picked up on this. I'm but glad she, you caught she, this one. Yeah. As she's getting pulled in, she makes a mention to her droid torch, who, by the way, has joined the ranks of kick-ass Star Wars droids. Oh, yeah. In just one, maybe 15 minute scene that torch is already a fucking hero pimp. Uh, but she's speaking to torch, essentially saying, nah, maybe we should try something like we did on back on Bakura and I was like oh there's a that's like a a Nick Easter egg I mean that's back to the Legends era books at this time what was her name Kathy or something like that the the truce at Bakura was yeah. kind of a very big expanded you novel back that in the day. was the first that was literally you watch ROTJ the next thing oh yeah that's right it, it this was, was supposed to be it right there. that was that's the right. direct follow-up to ROTJ because like in that book they're still talking about like people seeing the the explosion of the Death ah, Star yes. in the, you know across the galaxy and you know there's now the formation a quick formation of the New Republic but then you have this this alien force that comes into the galaxy that invades tries to take advantage of uh you know the perceived power vacuum and now you know your heroes from ROTJ have to combat this force it was the it was a very like their name was very weird. It was SSI Ruby. It's, yeah, I, I, I remember Rook or something like that. I'm pretty sure that that book came out before the prequels. Uh, so my mom yeah, naturally did. got it for me. Like, oh, he may like this because you know there's probably no more Star Wars movies. And I remember getting it and thinking like, oh, that was nice. In the back of my head, like, mom, I fucking hate reading. Like, <laughs> if these don't have moving pictures and shit. Yeah, it's like I'm what not the gonna fuck's touch going it. on here. But yeah, I'm not I mean, touch it. 
it was so it yeah was that, that that was a nice kind of a, a deep legends cut mention there absolutely uh, we also got another one, an audible egg, when her X-Wing was landing in the Star Destroyer's hangar because it was making that same siren noise that you heard when oh. Vader flew in on his shuttle in oh. ROTJ. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, this is another good one. Again, Vanessa, like I said, she was a banging character. I mean, she was just great. She, she provided some great narrative moments, some great dialogue, as well as great Easter eggs and references. So when she's talking to Tam... She mentions the tan that, oh, you know, I can't really tell the difference between all of you because you is, you look like clones. Yep. So that was a, a nice little nod that a Clone War era. Uh, Torch, when he's helping Vanessa kind of get out of the hangar, he uses the same damn detonators that my buddy Han Solo <laughs> used on Endor to blow up the shield generator. So that was kind of a nice, uh, that was a direct yeah, Easter egg. Yeah, that was literally direct. That was a good catch. And then kind of a loose one here, but I threw it in because I, I've never really heard it before because I even think they said Rebel Scum in TFA or TLJ maybe. But the First Order Trooper, when he sees Vanessa, he calls her Resistance Scum. That is And good. says it very much like Rebel Scum, that type of stuff. So Yeah. Uh, it's a good lineup of eggs and references from this episode. Uh, in terms of, like I said, overall, probably one of the, if not the best episode of, of season two, in my opinion, mostly because, I mean, it brought us right back to the First Order plotline, at least our, the First Order in the show being Tyranny and Pyre and their Star Destroyer, and then the Resistance in the show being Kaz in the gang on the Colossus. So they're finally right back, literally right next to each other in this episode. So yeah. that was nice. Uh, top moments, though, as I've been saying here doing the Easter egg recap, I just, I really, really enjoyed the character of Vanessa Doza. I mean, I, th- I thought it, it added a whole new element to Doza himself and Tora. You learn a lot more about them. Uh, we learned more about why Doza defected. So, you know, she kind of paid off on some little nuggets we got in, in season one. So I loved her for that. Uh, I also really, Nick, enjoyed her talks with Tam. Yeah. Uh, because you could tell she knew what to say to get Tam to think, even though Tam was still being quite stubborn. Yeah, I was going to call that out as one of my favorite moments as well when they're kind of talking through the the cell, you know, separator with Vanessa inside of the cell and then Tam outside as well. I mean, that was a fantastic conversation because it may, it confronted Tam with, with the reality that she really doesn't know why she joined the First Order. It was only to, like, she wanted to become a pilot, and Tierney promised that to her. Tierney said, we can make you a pilot. And even within that conversation, you can see the brainwashing already having an effect on her. Like when she asks, when Vanessa asks her name, she gives her code designation. Oh yeah. She I mean, she's she's been name. gaslighted already by the first order. Probably, you know, mostly tyranny. Yeah. So that whole interaction between those two is fantastic. The scene um, where Vanessa is trying to escape with Tam and the chaos going on in the hangar as as torches fucking blowing everything up. Yeah, I was gonna say that that was my last like standout moment. I yeah. mean, just the whole deal with Torch, how he played dead. Yeah, got himself back up, gets her out, and then literally, 
I mean, he is the mastermind by that entire distraction. I mean, Vanessa didn't really didn't have to do shit but sit there and talk to Tam and make sure Tam didn't knock her out and, and sell her out. I mean, Torch planted the bombs. He got his ass into a TIE fighter and literally started flying around the hangar shooting shit. And then he leads them all out as they're shooting at him. He bails. Vanessa gets out. Miller time. Maybe just, <laughs> I just really, I mean, I always, we talk about this. We, we always love the droids when they're the heroes because most of the time in Star Wars land, the droids are the heroes, even though the meat bags get the credit. Yeah, exactly. I mean, countless times have we seen R2-D2 save the day, and, you know, he is a very gracious uh, savior because he always just gives the credit to Luke or Han or whoever else is doing, you know, whatever they're supposed to be doing. But, yeah, I mean... Torch, and also it's a fantastic name for that droid as well, considering all the fire and explosions that he caused. Oh, yeah. No, uh, just like I said, mean, just, I mean, yeah. Torch, he, he's up there now. I mean, he, he's up there with, with BB-8, with R2, Bucket, uh, Chopper. I mean, just a – he felt like a little character. I mean, he had yeah. his personality. And, and it does seem like, Nick, these astromechs, Always are a little bit edgier, crotchety, yeah. fiery than than the ball droids of the Resistance era, right? Yeah, yeah, I I agree with that. It seems like when they when they moved on to the to the ball droids, they were like, all right, we've we've seen some personality defects with the Astromech, so let's put a little bit more. Yeah, know. it's like the, the ball droids are almost they're almost too nice, you know. They 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 have personalities, but they're not kind of smart ass yeah i mean cb23 has always been like a very cordial and nice joy like you pointed out in season one cb's always following behind bucket trying to help him out like hey buddy you dropped your helmet well, i like, think that was when bb like was still on the ship but but cb is is a, is a friend with them too so yeah. uh, but i mean really torch was great his relationship with venisa was fun venisa as a whole was great and just like i said we, we we're right back to it i mean i think they they Got some Tam development in this episode. You can definitely tell that while she didn't leave with Vanessa, with Vanessa, those seeds she planted are going to sprout. Yeah. Uh, th th those talks probably are going to be what, what pushes Tam more than likely back to the good guys when some serious shit's probably yeah. going to go down between the two. So I, I appreciate for yeah. that. There's some good firefights. There's just good action. I mean, it was, it was just, like I said, it was probably the best episode of the season. So we, we finally got two back-to-back -back solid episodes of Resistance. Last week's in episode seven with the the Relic Raiders. That was a good one. We got another good new character there. We got some Sith and Jedi lore in there. That was nice. So after a few stinkers, it, it seems like Resistance is riding its ship uh, probably getting ready for its mid-season break here after the next episode or two. Yeah, yeah. I mean, good stuff all around. I also really like the development on the Doza side of things. You see where Tora gets her piloting skills from now, from her mother, who used to be a rebel pilot. And then also you find out that Vanessa is the reason that, you know, Manuel Doza defected from the Empire to the Rebellion. So really good character building all around. And it did not sacrifice the first order plot or anything else important to do that so yeah well no one had to go out and get supplies this time yeah finally. that was always that's always yeah, a good every, thing. <laughs> everyone's got their they got their meat now they got their hyper fuel the regular fuel so i think i think we're back to just probably some space action at this point yeah uh we'll know more tomorrow if they if they're doing a new episode this week i'm not sure but that's usually when i get the episode previews are on wednesday so 
If we do, just make sure your happy asses are tuned in to StarWarsTime.net, because even on a, a holiday week, I might be throwing some stuff up on there. So, All right, man, so Star Wars Resistance S2E8 in the books. Check it out. It's out there now on all your Disney channels except Disney+. Plus. Uh, all right, dude, so getting into the show of shows, the, the fan uniter, the Mandalorian. The thing that some are saying is saving Disney Star Wars. I mean, that's neither here nor there. It is what it is. People love it. We love it. I love it. Nick loves it. Oh, yeah. I haven't talked to Nick about it since the first episode, so I'm happy to talk to him again about episode three, which at this point in time is uh, the best so far. But as I kind of put in my recap and review that I do last week, and don't forget, people, Nick and I aren't doing full recaps and reviews on the podcast anymore of Resistance or The Mandalorian. Those will be found on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Star Wars Time Show. So anyways, dude, episode three, S1E3, The Sin. It's already being proclaimed as the best yet. Uh, what I've enjoyed the most about, and we're going to get into the eggs, I'm just kind of pontificating here, but what I've enjoyed the most about 3 is the fact that it was directed by Deborah Chow, who is running Obi-Wan Kenobi. And yes. I think that surprised a lot of people, but probably also made some of the haters, because you know they're probably out there when they found out that a female was running the show. I'm hoping that this episode is going to put all that nonsense to rest, because... Deborah and gang did a fucking bang up job on the sin. It, it was yeah. just fantastic. Thirty minutes of TV. Yeah, I mean, in you know, kind of referencing a podcast that we did, well, an interview that you did with Dominic Pace, one of the man, uh, one of the bounty hunters in in episode three. Not only was she the director, but they also had female first unit and second unit directors on this. Oh episode. yeah, yeah. So Dom like, gave us those insights. So yeah. So. Those of you that are weird about that type of stuff, get over yourself. You're probably a fucking weirdo or a misogynist or a pig of some sort. So Deborah yeah. Chow rocks. Yeah, she killed this episode. See episode three of The Mandalorian. All right, so let, let's go ahead and sift through some of the Easter eggs, Nick. There's a bunch here, so we don't have to like spend a lot of time on all these because we still got a bunch of other stuff to talk about. Hold on. Hold on! There we Excuse go. Excuse me. <laughs> Bam, we don't have any cough buttons here, my friends, so there's a sneeze for your face. All right, so right off the bat, we get grief on a hollow projector. That's tech we've pretty much seen since A New Hope. Yep. Uh, up next, we see a Twi'lek in the city streets. Nice. That's an alien we first saw in Return of the Jedi via Bib Fortuna and then Ula. The heavy Mandalorian unit. Again, this was he was teased before his appearance in the show as a Black Series character, so that's why I put him there, but at this point... He actually deserves to be on this list because of his Vizsla heritage, yes. which Nick and I have already talked about. Uh, we saw these in the promos, but we, we finally got to see the Separatist gunship strafe attack in one of Mando's flashbacks. So at this point, it's pretty clear that Mando, whoever he is, if he was a true Mandalorian, I mean, whatever village he was living in, it, it got ransacked by Separatists because the next one, we see a B-2 battle droid in the flashback, blown people away, and lo and behold, we find out that one is getting ready to blow Mando away, so I'm sure we're not done with that flashback yeah. scene yet. I'm going to jump in here real quick because I want to point out that a lot of big um, outlets are running with the idea that the purge that is mentioned multiple times by you know the Mandalorians and the Conclave is referring to the Death Watch takeover from the Clone Wars series, and 
I'm just putting this out here. Based on those two eggs, the Separatist gunship strafe and the B2 battle droid, um, that would not line up with that arc of episodes. Because in my recollection, like Darth Maul didn't use any Separatist you know, ships or Separatist droids. Well, no, I, I think like they may be talking about when Pre Vizsla did the takeover. Okay, because they, yeah, they were mentioning, like, when Maul... Because, I, I mean, I'm going to have to go back and watch it again at this point. My brain's just riddled with bullshit. And yeah. I forget stuff. And I, now that we have Clone Wars, I want to do... I've never done the chronological rewatch, which is a thing. Yeah. Uh, where you don't actually go season to season. You kind of bounce around. Yeah, so you watch them based off... So you, like... But I, but I know at some point, wasn't Vizsla's or Death Watch... That was Vizsla's gang. De- yeah, Death Watch was Vizsla's gang. And then when gang, Maul then shows Maul up, he kind of takes them over himself. Yeah, and then he proclaims himself the leader of Mandalore, sits on the throne and everything like that. Um, but but I do believe, and I'm sure people listen that are diehards, because I'm starting to get this on the YouTube videos, which I think is great. I love that other nut Star Wars fans are seeing more eggs than me and telling them that I missed them. It's good. Yeah, that's the type of interaction we want. We we love people like you, Rust Belt Collector. He's one of them. Watches every video. Always drops a comment. Two thumbs up on that guy. Ah, right, we'll have to maybe do some study in there, Nick. Maybe pull up the old internet machine. But I do think at some point in time, Vizsla and Death Watch kind of link up with separatists. Yeah, I, yeah. Like you said, since we have everything on Disney Plus now, I have to go back and like watch through those arcs like both the mall run death watch arc and the previous one if that if that one's there as well so um but yeah i just wanted because it seems like most people are running with the idea that the purge the, the, the purge that's being talked about was you know was a death watch related one i'm not sure if they're going with the mall one or or the pre one but yeah good call okay so here we go i just i did it for you mm-hmm <laughs> So Visla did try to overthrow Duchess Satine Kreese's pacifist regime during the Clone Wars. Okay. But he failed to conquer Mandalore. So that's when he, uh, after he, he aligns himself with the CIS, you know, the Confederacy of Independent Systems, yep. that's when he joins in with Darth Maul's Shadow Collective. Okay. And then that's when they do succeed in taking over Mandalore. Yeah, so it was the combination of both Pre Vizsla and Death Watch with, with um, yeah, CIS backing and with Maul. Gotcha. So it is kind of that combo of the two. So we're both right, except you had to combine them. <laughs> yeah, so who knows? Interesting stuff. All right, so moving on with our Mandalorian discussion here for Episode 3, we get a, a Zabrik... Bounty Hunter in the guild, you know, that's Maul species. I had to throw in Gecko the Bounty Hunter, that is Dominic Pace's character, who, that's the name he's running with, the community's kind of giving him. Uh, so we got to see him a couple times in the episode. He, he actually had some really great shots. So if you missed the interview with Dominic P- Pace, who is an official Star Wars Bounty Hunter now, make sure to check out, uh, I think, episode 83 of the show. Uh, the Mando, you know, he, he got his new... New digs, his new curious, so he runs over to Grief to try to get some new bounties, and we get a Mon Calamari bounty. Now, Matt, on this one, Grief specifically says, like, oh, he's the he's the son of a nobleman. Right. Do you think that this is in any way related to Akbar's son? Potentially, for sure. Yeah. 
because it's that's the first thing that popped into my I just, head. I just I do I don't know if Akbar's considered a nobleman though, if he's just an admiral. If he's like, just an admiral, yeah. I don't know how things work in the Montana. Yeah, me neither. Because in their society, <laughs> I know they they specialize in in their fleets. Yeah, and that's why Radis was kind of running things back in uh, Rogue uh, One. Yeah, Rogue One. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, who knows? There's a very good, very good chance it didn't quite look like this uh, Akbar's son, who has a, is a little bit lighter pink, if you will. Yeah, uh, but you never know. Uh, we got the New Republic mentioned by grief. Mm-hmm. You know, basically, it's a piece of shit. Even even Mando laughed at him, like, "Oh yeah, sure, I'll take it there. It's a joke." And that's literally what he says. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we also get Spice mentioned by grief. This that was is a funny the, scene. I like the, the drug <laughs> that gets uh, Han in trouble with Jabba. Here's a deep one, and it, it sort of makes up from the obvious one I missed. You know I missed the fucking Will Rowe ice cream maker thing. Yes, yes, I the, yeah, the Will Rowe hood from episode yep, five. Because totally I saw when that. I saw that, I was like, oh, shit, there it is. And then when it opens up, I was like, that's what it is. It's not an ice cream maker. It's a fucking... Yep, it's, it's <laughs> obviously, it's a little, it's a little uh, steel chest, yeah. clearly. Uh, the random bar, there's a random steel bar in the alleyway by the client's hideout that's literally the same bar used in the trash compactor to the, New Hope. Talk about, that's like the deep, I don't know, that may be the deepest cut you ever got. Yeah, that, that was why I was like, okay, I, I don't know if diehards will get that one, but that's the same fucking bar, and it was, it's the exact same. An easy one, we got the interrogation droid in the client's hideout that was about to do something to Baby Yoda. Same one Vader was using on his kid because he's a good daddy. And then just at the end, I had to throw it in there because it's really the first time we've seen this in live action. But multiple Mandos in flight, which we really haven't seen outside of the Clone Wars or Star Wars Rebels. Yeah, so, I mean, it was that just an epic moment. scene was fucking just so fucking cool. Incredible. I knew, I'm not going to say I knew it was coming, but when, when, when shit was getting dire for him, I was like, oh, fuck, I know, they're going to do it. They're going to bail him out. I was like, that's the only way. Yeah, like you knew that the Mandos had to come in to save the day because like, yeah, you saw the the interaction earlier in the episode where they get in a fight with, you know, Paz Vizsla and, and Mando, but they are the last of their kind. They have to stick together. These people are bound together by by code, by blood, by everything. So yeah, like when he got into that dire situation, I was kind of like in the back of my head, I was like, who's going to show up? I was thinking that it was only going to be a couple, like maybe it was going to be like the Forge Master and somebody else, but they fucking all came. And uh, yeah, that was incredible. So again, Deborah Chow really killing it with that whole scene. Yeah, it was was badass. So let's just kind of get into a breakdown of the episode. Uh, Top moments, if you will, unless you saw something that, you know, you think may lead to some plot speculation down the road. Uh, I mean, clearly Mando's not your typical bounty hunter. I yes. Mean, uh, so I'll talk about in one of my top moments. But first top moment here, I, I just, I'd love, I mean, again, Baby Yoda could literally be every top moment for every episode at this point. But but his expressions from the beginning uh. of the episode all the way until the Mando sells his ass out. It's just some of the cutest shit I've ever seen in in any franchise. I mean, it starts with him playing with the joystick on the ship and the looks he's given Mando, and then the looks he's given Mando as they're walking through this the city streets, and he's looking everywhere. His ears are moving, and then obviously the look of like, "Hey, dude, really? You're gonna let this guy fucking take me away when when he uh, turns him over to the client and the doctor?" So oh, yeah. just. Yeah. 
I mean, the, the, this little character doesn't even have to speak, and he already steals every episode. Yeah, I mean, it's... I, I don't know how they do it, because the way, like you said, every little thing... And it's just like, I mean, I, ha, I, don't, I had never had a kid, but, like, you do, and I imagine that, like, when they're small like that, when they're in their infantile stages... That is something that you're always drawn to is their facial expressions because they oh, can't yeah. I talk, mean, they're, they can't do anything else. Like that is they're always you can tell that they are just completely bewildered by their surroundings and everything happening to them, and that's kind of what we're getting through Baby Yoda, albeit you know, he's a little bit more advanced than your human toddler. I mean, it is. It's kind of that like wonder, that sense of wonder, like, oh, look at those other ships. Oh, look at all these people. I mean, for all we know, this little guy's been locked up in that little egg thing, sitting in that random bunker in some desert where Kuil lives for his whole life. Yeah, I mean, so he's, he may have not, never seen any of this shit. So I, I just loved his his sense of wonder as Mando was getting ready to sell him out. Uh, next moment, obviously, the forge, the second forge scene is, it's already an iconic moment in all of Star Wars because, A, we've never seen that many Mandalorians gathered together in a scene and actually talking to each other and interacting. Yeah. And, B, we've got this series' second immortal saying at this point in time. It's already given us one with I Have Spoken, and now, not even halfway through, Nick, we get another line that all star wars fans will forever know and it'll be another code word we can use with each other in this is the way this is the way it was fantastic i mean just fucking i mean that whole exchange where they're building up more of these mandalorians and and their culture and their traditions and we get this is the way it's like fuck one like there's one other thing that i wanted to mention from this scene it was Going back to the signet, because like both of us were talking. Ah, oh, yes, like, we did figure that yeah, out. So the signet is actually it is an insignia, and it's basically like, what is your first major kill? Is from what it seems like the right, reason. It doesn't seem like it doesn't seem that it's just a standard bounty either. It almost no. has to be a beast of some sort. Yeah, because like the reason that the entire you know signet for the Mandalorian race is the Mythosaur skull is because that is one of the most. I mean, mythical creatures that you could ever, you know, imagine. Well, isn't that what Boba had on his armor, like on his pauldron, right? Was a mythosaur skull, yeah. And that's the thing that's hanging over the entrance to the Forge Master is a mythosaur skull. So they asked him, like, okay, so you had this kill on, it was a mud something. I can't remember what it was. Mudhorn. Mudhorn. And he's like, nope, I can't take it because an enemy helped me, which I thought was an interesting way. Mando, you fucking asshole. An enemy helped you. Wow, sir. It was a little baby, and he just used the force, but it's okay. Um, But yeah, that What shows you how warrior-like they are, though. Yeah, because he he was being serious. It it wasn't like he was fucking, fucking around. He's like, no, an enemy. It technically was an enemy of his at that point in time, even though he had a change of heart and basically adopted it at the end of the episode. But... It was an enemy to him, and it wasn't a clean kill, as he said. Yeah, so, I mean, that was a sense of honor and a sense of, you know, he knows the Mandalorian way, and he's not going to cheat it. He probably could have. He could have just said, yep, Mudhorn, that's me. Give me the signet. But nope, he's like, I, I need to get the clean it's just, kill. Uh, the, the whole exchange, when the heavy comes in, you could tell they don't like the Mandalorian. They, they don't like him for some reason, and it's it's more than likely because he does do jobs for the empire. I mean, that, that was, uh, 
that was specifically brought up by the heavy. Like, we don't want to can hang out with this dude that shares a table with the Empire. He's a piece of shit. I mean, look, he's bringing back this soiled best car that was seized in the purge. It's bullshit. Yeah. And that's when they start fighting. But I just, I love how they let him fight. Again, very Spartan-like. And then the armorer, who is their leader, basically says, has anyone ever taken off your helmet? Which we learn is you can't fucking do it in their culture. It's no. basically yeah. a sin. You, you it, It's almost... It'd be like worse than, than cheating on your wife or, you know, killing your kid or something. I mean, it, it's a very serious infraction for a Mandalorian to remove their helmet throughout their entire life. I assume, and that's, yeah. In the and that's where we get the, the this is the way because he's like, no, I've never re- taken it off. And she's like, listen, is he a, is he a piece of shit? Because he, he walks the path. He gets hunted. He does the hunting. He is prey. And then they're like, no. And then she's like, well, yeah, because this is the way. And then this is the way. This is the way. And then we're all buddies. So yeah, just just a great scene for getting some deeper lore about the Mandalorian race, the Mando himself. I mean, we also we kind of went in the flashback. We got more of that playing out. Mm-hmm. Uh, just just an awesome moment altogether. And of course, when we see him in his newly minted uh, Beskar suit, that that's a pretty impressive visual. Yeah, I mean, it was sick. And, you know, at that point, there is no better time to storm a, you know, Imperial Remnant stronghold than when you have right. some so of the that, strongest that's after, <laughs> that's the, after my next top moment. And that's the moment on the ship where the Mandalorian has his change of heart. And that's, you gotta love Pedro, you gotta love Deborah, you gotta love the way they film the scene. Because we're talking about a guy we can't see his emotions. Yet, yeah. through the way he acted, the, the camera movements, the blocking, the way you know he would turn his helmet, the way he was looking at the joystick without the ball on it, you could tell in that moment he was like, fuck, I've committed a sin. <coughs> I, I fucked up. Like, I mean, he kept asking the client and even grief, like, what are they going to do? What are they, you could tell he wasn't quite over baby yoda and he wasn't just a standard bounty to him but it was a ship moment where he has this change of heart and it's just all done visually and i I just thought it was beautiful yeah i mean i never thought that they were going to get to the point where he turned over baby yoda in my head it was like okay he finds this baby it's very clear that he has some sort of affinity to this child you know being that this is an orphan and that he was at one time an orphan so I thought, like, he keeps the baby, he storms the stronghold, and he just steals the best car. No, it was the other way around. Like, he actually turned in the baby. So that whole scene was very surprising to me. And then the turn was fantastic. Like you mentioned, conveying emotion through action and not through any sense of, you know, you know, physical or, you know, visual. Yeah, that, that's all in the actor and the director because the actor has to do the physical movements, but the director's the one that is like, no, this is the angle we go for here. This is yep. what we cut to here to, to sell all that. So it was just, it was a fantastic moment. Yep. That, that leads into what Nick was talking about. The next top moment obviously is his compound raid. I mean, from start to finish, just one of the more impressive uh, shootout melee style Star Wars moments we've ever seen, right, Nick? I mean, he yeah. he plans it out. He kind of spies on him, and then just enacts his plan. He gets him to come out, breaches the the whole the wall in the back, and then it's on. And he just is kicking the shit out of people. And he's the I think my favorite part is he's using every uh, trinket 
gadget that Mandalorians has at their disposal to make them these fierce warriors, hunters, killers. I mean, he, the one guy, he ratchets with his uh, his grappling hook yep. thing, pulls him in, stabs him. The other guy, he literally fucking burns to death. Yeah, burns one. He's shocking people, shooting people, punching people. Uh, he's just a badass. And then obviously he gets even more badass when he starts doing it with a baby in his arms. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that I thought was really cool that was like a callback within the episode was when they were kind of, you know, when the Forge Master was going through and he was making, or she was making the armor, she's like, well, we have some extra, what do you want to do? And he's like, whistling birds. All right, whistling birds makes sense. And oh, yeah, you knew you that was know. a straight setup. Yeah. I mean, you knew that so, was going to get paid off in so this So that episode. was coming. And that so that whole scene was cool. And he gets surrounded, uses the whistling birds, kills them all. I mean, the whole, yeah, that whole compound raid was excellently executed from, you know, like, an in-story, you know, side on, on the Mandalorian's part, setting everything up. But it was also... Again, going back to Deborah Chow and, and how this episode really stood out, like it was perfectly filmed by by Deborah and her crew to just show that he had complete control over the situation the entire time. Like he, uh, crushes, he literally raided a con- it was basically one on at least I'd say fifteen. Yeah, and he just does it by himself with no problems. Like he no, gets it- dinged one time in the shoulder by one of the stormtroopers. Other than that, he just fucking rocks it. He just gets through Did the you notice thing. that? That's I think that's the first time, maybe the second, because Leia does get hit. Yeah, she gets shot in the arm. In I R2J. think that's the first time we've seen a hero character get hit by a stormtrooper blast. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that so, was... <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe these these remnant guys aren't, aren't as bad shots as the other ones, because it is kind of a plot hole if you think about it. I mean, the first time... Someone that even describes stormtroopers to us. It's Obi Wan Kenobi essentially saying they're marksmen. Yeah, he's like, right? look, it's way too look how precise. precise these are. <laughs> yeah, it's like, and then then these bozos can't fucking hit a single hero because of their plot armor. But whatever, I, I do like that Mando kind of gets shot here and there, and you know, even the last episode, episode two when Nick was out, I mean, he got, he basically was almost killed by the mudhorns. Yeah, so. the mudhorn. Fucked him up. Yeah, it is nice to see a a hero kind of taking it a bit uh, too. But I mean, he definitely dishes it out as that compound raid went down, and then we just roll into the next awesome moment, and that is kind of the shootout at the OK Corral Star Wars style. I mean, yeah. that that was about as western as it got when he rolls in with his his little buddy, and you got grief standing there at the other end of the street, and then all the other bounty hunters. I mean, all you needed was a tumbleweed to go by and that. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> like sound to play. I mean, I think they even shown Mando's fingers down by his blaster, yeah, like but wiggling a little bit. I mean, that was great all the way up until you're like, okay, he's kicking their ass. And you're like, oh, well, it is one guy against a bunch of other fighters. He may lose this. And then, obviously, the next moment, probably one of the greatest moments in all live-action Star Wars, it's the fucking flight of the Mandos, dude. I mean, you you see this rocket. As soon as I saw that light truck come over, I was like, here they come. (laughs) Here they fucking come. They're shooting their rockets. And lo and behold... They start, you know, hovering in, and fucking heavy Mando comes down with his Gatling gun, oh. and then what does he do? He looks at him like Mando's like, dude, you guys are fucked. He's like, you're exposed now. You're gonna have to move the clan, and he's like, 
this is the way. This is and the then way. This is the way. And they didn't have to say anything else. No and other plans were given on the battlefield. It was just, this is the fucking way. We got your back. You're a part of us. Now get your ass out of here. Yeah. I mean, it was so good because it showed that, like, not only did he, not only did the Mandalorian put himself in a position where he's now being hunted by essentially every force in the galaxy. Like he has the Imperial remnant against him. He has other bounty hunters against him. In, in he's the, way worse off than Han Solo ever was. Oh in yeah. In terms of having a bounty on his head. I oh mean, yeah. He, he's essentially John Wick at this point in John Wick three. Yeah. And now, but he doesn't care because now he has the one thing that matters to him, which is the Mandalorians on his side. As long as he has the Mandalorians with him, he doesn't have to worry about some fucking random ass bounty hunter or, you know, an Imperial remnant stormtrooper coming across him. Like he has the best force that he right. could possibly have. It was just it was a nice kind of payoff on the earlier exchange where you could tell there's some tension whenever yeah. Armando walks into the secret lair. I mean, who again, is it because of who he works for? Is it because he's a foundling from some other race and he's not true Mandalorian? I, I assume we'll find all this stuff out. But it was just it was just awesome to see how they went from having some friction to essentially the heavy comes in and, and saves Mando's life. Yeah, I mean, and do you it think... even gives him the Rocketeer salute at the end, which was <laughs> fucking fantastic. That was and so cool. Mando's like, I got to get me one of those. I so. know when he said that, I was like, oh man, that's great. But my my the last top moment, it, it's another kind of callback to <coughs> one of the first scenes in this episode, and it was the fact that once they're back on the ship, they're back in the space. Little homeboy gets out, reaches for the ball, <laughs> and who drops it right into his hands like a dad. And I was just oh, like, yeah. oh, 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 Mando and Baby Yoda. I mean, come on. It's perfect, dude. I mean, Make this series never end. It's such a good – it's just like the pairing is so unlikely. Right. But it's so perfectly No one saw executed. it coming. It doesn't make any sense on paper, but when you see it, it makes all the sense in the world. I mean, it is life right now. Baby Yoda and Mando is – life yeah. so real quick before we move into some of the trust stuff because we are going long here real quick predictions for where does episode four take us i think episode four we get the introduction of two characters we're going to get the introduction of cara dune but more importantly we're going to get the introduction of moff gideon and his hell yes his uh, group I'm right there with you, dude. Again, that's why we have a force bond like Ray and Kylo, except Nick doesn't wear pants when we do it. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think you're 100% right. I think this is where I, I bet Mando probably runs off to a planet where he may have a, a buddy at or maybe another Mandalorian hideout. Who knows? And that's where he's going to meet Kara. Where on the other hand, we're probably going to see the client going out and letting people like Moff Gideon know, like, all right, motherfuckers. We got some shit on our hands because Bando st or Mando stole this baby, and you guys know who won the baby, and you know what we were supposed to do with it. So you better fucking take these dudes out. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. So we're gonna get a ramp up in terms of intensity from the Imperial Remnant side of things, but we're also gonna get, you know, probably, you know, the Mandalorian knowing that he has a target on his back now. Like, there is no chance that he's going to live an easy right. life. I, like I was going to say, we, we may get Ming-Na, but I'm pretty positive she is scheduled for Episode 5 or when Filoni's back as director. So, 
Yeah. Uh, we may not see her yet, but I think Nick's dead on. I mean, I, I can't really tell tell you plot-wise what we're going to get. I mean, obviously, they're probably going to establish that the Mando's fucked. He's even more fucked than he's ever been before. He's on the run. He's John Wicked. Everyone's after him. The remnant bounty hunters, assassins, if you will. Uh, so I think they'll establish that. But like you said, he's probably going to meet a new friend. And then we're probably going to meet the main man that's going to be charged with hunting him down, at least from the remnant side. So we'll see. You know, my happy ass, even on a vacation day, is planning on getting up bright and early to do my Mandalorian YouTube video dance. So make sure to get your asses subbed up, youtube.com slash Star Wars Time Show. And I cannot wait. This has become like a weekly highlight now. And we thank you for that, David and John. We yes. speak your names. All right, man. So let's kind of move into our trust stuff. There's there's quite a bit to go. We might have to speed through some of this. I mean, some of it doesn't warrant a ton of discussion. But obviously, now that Lucasfilm has given birth to The Mandalorian, it has shifted its promo focus, <clears throat> hype machine focus, to The Rise of Skywalker. So this week and kind of towards the end of last we've been getting all these magazine interviews with, with JJ, the cast, this, that, and the other thing. But but JJ has kind of been the star this week in providing some interview quotes that are, you know, kind of fun to hear, maybe talk about a little bit. Uh, so we're going to start with the first one here. And those of you that love TLJ, as in you fucking hate it, you, you may take, uh, you may laugh at this one. So JJ was talking with Rolling Stone, and um, he's kind of talking about the rise of Skywalker, uh, but they, they obviously they started to ask him about the Last Jedi and if any of the plot moments that Ryan had crafted in it uh, affected his film or, or just generally what did JJ think of him? And it was kind of funny that he said that there was one moment in TLJ that was so unexpected for JJ that he laughed when he read the script. And this moment was anybody. Anybody? 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 Actually, I forget. I, no, I'm just kidding. It was uh, Snoke's death. So when J.J. first read the script for TLJ and he found out that Snoke just gets whacked, he laughed at it. And this is what he said. He said, when I read his first draft, it made me laugh because I saw that was his take and his voice. I got to watch cuts of the movie as he was working on it as an audience member, and I appreciated the choices he made as a filmmaker that would probably be very different from the choices that I would have ever made, just as he would have made different choices if he had made in, uh, if he made Episode 7. So we kind of heard J.J. said that before. The interesting thing here was that he was laughing at some of the changes. Like, they caught him <laughs> so off guard when he was reading the script that he was like, oh, shit. Yeah. Uh, he... What'd you think about that, Nick? I mean, it was, it's not surprising. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think I Nick's a, a dying, bit, by the way. <coughs> I think he has bad two AIDS. The, the Disney flu. Because oh, you're around shit. kids all day and you're in buses with kids, stuff like that. Anyway, um, that was perfect because, you know, a lot of people who saw TLJ were really just kind of like, insulted by that move and the other moves that JJ mentions that he laughed at, like, you know, a darker Luke, but wait, he said the, the biggest surprise was, was the dark Luke. Luke. Yeah. I mean, he, he said that was very unexpected to him, but the, uh, but he liked it because of how it subverts expectation. Exactly. So everything that, you know, people dislike a little bit about TLJ is, are the things that, 
JJ were attracted to, JJ was attracted to when he was reading it, Darker Luke, Snoke Death, stuff like that, because in his head, he probably had, and we know that he did have a draft of seven written up. And then reading Ryan's draft, he was like, holy shit, he did a ton of stuff different than me. Like, look at all of the, the risks that he took. Look and that's, at, that's what you know. he liked. I, I don't, he didn't come out and say, I love the movie. It was perfect. He was just saying as a filmmaker, he was liking what he liked the most about TLJ was all of the unexpected shit Ryan threw in there. Yeah. So I thought that that was really cool to hear that. Um, yeah, he also um, went on to ask him, like, hey, man, did Ryan fuck you over? And he pretty much said, I had a real sense with Larry about where things were going. And I think that when I read Ryan's script, what I felt was that with everything that happens in that movie, and quite a lot does, nothing sort of obviated a sense of inevitability where I thought the story could go. So Yeah, basically what he was saying was eventually Snoke was going to die anyway. Eventually Luke was going to die anyway. So... Nothing that wasn't planned, you know. Right. Nothing really blew up <laughs> yeah. anything that he had ideas for in nine. Yeah. Uh, he also commented on George Lucas essentially saying he hates fucking all things Disney Star Wars and that he is the president of the fandom menace. And JJ is like, hey, whatever, you know. Do I wish the movie was his favorite all time? Sure, but I, I did my best and it is what it is. I respect him, I love him, and. He kind of understands why George may not love stuff in Star Wars that he's not personally creating. And that makes sense. I mean, George, you'd have to think, has a little bit of narcissism to him when it comes to Star Wars, considering he is the god of the universe. I mean, he yeah. is literally the person that created all of it. So Yeah, I mean, the guy is literally treated like a savior, a god, or whatever by a majority of the fandom. So... It's it's not hard to believe that he has an inflated sense of self. So whatever. Right. And, and again, it'd be like I mean, I even I mean, I say it all the time off air to Nick when I see other Star Wars people like us or other podcasts and they may you know do something or, or get some views. I'm like, oh, this fucking idiot. I can, fucking <laughs> assholes. They suck. I mean, it's the same shit. Yeah, yeah, it's the same fucking thing. We're all humans in the end. We're all fucking assholes when it comes down to it. Uh, last little nugget from Rolling Stone. Uh, they kind of asked him about the some of the pushback or, I don't know, outlashing he's gotten about Ray's ability to learn the Force faster than the Skywalker homies. And all he said was, yeah, spooky, right? Smiles. It's a fair point. It's not an accident. So he's pretty much saying we, we may find out why Ray uh, is a little more adept at learning the Force than some of the Skywalkers. So, and Matt, I, I still... I don't even buy into that fucking argument anyways. Cause are, are you trying to tell me that the final movie of, of this franchise is going to wrap up some plot points that weren't wrapped up in a middle act movie? Is yeah, that it's weird how say? that happens, right? <laughs> I mean, you would think that in a trilogy, every movie would essentially just be its own movie and not tied to the other ones. But it seems in this trilogy, they're actually treating it like a three-act play where each act affects the others and they have to kind of pay off on some of the, the plot stuff. So I know it's strange. I know it's an odd way of doing a trilogy. But, you know, these this J.J. Abrams guy, he's kind of goofy like that. So Very odd. Yeah, we, we've said it all along. You know, we're being fucking assholes right now. But, I mean, you can't... It's too bad we all can't take a time machine back to Empire and really gauge what it would have been like if Twitter was around or Facebook or uh, YouTube for people to throw up shit vids 
because there's a there's a very good chance, just based on some of the the written critiques you could get from that era, that people may have thought about Empire the same way as TLJ, and then it, you know it seems once ROTJ came out and it kind of paid off on everything that people started to crown Empire as the greatest Star Wars movie of all time. Yeah, so you never know. People literally fucking hated the, like, what is I, the iconic movie in all of Star Wars history, the revelation that Vader is Luke's father. People, like, critics, like, right. movie they, they critics thought it was cheap, hated it was that. weak, it was stupid, it didn't make sense. So, yeah. yeah just, just as Nick said, let, let's just wait <laughs> and see how this trilogy plays out in full before we start declaring it and its directors and its creators as people that hate Star Wars and are trying to burn it down, which has been the most ridiculous fandom menace argument that Kathy and all them hate Star Wars and they want it to fail. Yeah, that's definitely how business works. That's definitely how Bob Iger has remained the CEO of one of the most rich companies on the planet. That's totally how Disney operates. So you guys are right on that one fucking morons all right up next more from jj and this one i believe comes from an interview he did with uprox he was talking about our man goldenrod aka 3po the big c if you will uh and jj i mean he kind of confirmed some things we've been hearing in terms of c3po getting the most screen time he's ever had and actually being used in ways we've never seen him and J.J. pretty much comes out and confirms all that. I mean, the first quote we got was, he's very center to this story and truly wonderful in it. Anthony Daniels gets to do some things. It's like, all right, some, some things. things. What does that mean? Is he like going to jerk himself off in his robot costume? I mean, what are some things? But it implies he's going to be doing more than just being the um, translator and the professor that we know him to be. Yeah, and if you've you know kind of kept up with some of the speculation, maybe some of the leaks out there, you might know some things about oh, yeah. Rupio's role here. But you know, we got to see something that is you know that's very center to the movie shown in the in the previews. I mean, this whole scene that we see in the previews with three PO looking out at at Poe and Finn and Ray, R two D two, BB eight saying, you know, this is the last time I'm going to look at my friends. Like, that is definitely a moment like we oh, never yeah. imagined would happen, that, that 3PO would have to, to, to I mean, is he going to be a sacrifice? Like, what the hell is happening with this right. character? Are they, are they turning him off? Do they need a, a part in his head? Who knows? But it, it sounds, I mean, I'm not going to go through the rest of the quotes, but Basically, J.J.'s saying, just be prepared. You're going to see more 3PO than you've seen in any of the movies, and he's going to be doing stuff that you aren't accustomed to seeing C-3PO do. Uh, so I think that's going to be pretty awesome to see. We also learned, I just kind of lumped us into this post here, which you know Nick always links these out for you in the post shell of the podcast, but, uh, oh my God, I'm such a pig. We also learned that it was, in fact, J.J.'s idea to bring back Palpatine. This came th from Colin Trevorrow, who is going to get a credit for the film. That's been confirmed as well. Uh, but he, he just said, it's honestly something I never considered. I commend him for it. This was a tough story to unlock, and he found the key. Uh, so I think that's just kind of an interesting insight. Um, I believe at one point it's like, oh, you know, George was the one that wanted him in here, but it, it sounds like this is, has been J.J.'s idea to bring back Palpatine for Tross. Yeah, I mean, J.J., as much as people want to hate on him for some reason, which I can't figure out, like, the guy is intelligent, and he was able to identify that, you know, go back to episode one and go all the way through episode six. We, you've had one key villain the whole time. Like, you could argue 
Vader and everything like that, but the guy pulling the strings was ultimately Palpatine. Yeah, Vader was a Vader was at best a a puppet. I mean, he's the definition of muscle. That's it. Yeah. So to bring back the the biggest bad that there is in Star Wars was the only way to close it out, and and JJ identified that and executed it. So I'm super excited to see exactly how we're gonna get Palpatine back, what the circumstances around his return are. But yeah, I'm I'm very excited to see exactly how things play out. Oh yeah, me too. It's that's still probably the biggest mystery in the movie is like how are we gonna handle Palpatine? So excited to see that in less than a month at this point. I mean, it's November twenty sixth as we record. Most of us have our tickets for December nineteenth. Yep. So if you do the math, that means we have at least fifty days to go. Yep, that's right. <laughs> All right, last little deal on JJ. I mean, they, they even brought his ass out onto TV this week. GMA. He was on GMA, and he, he kind of he showed off a clip, which Nick and I are going to talk about here in a minute. But he, he provided a funny little story, as people like him tend to do on these talky type of shows promoting stuff. Uh, but he revealed why there was probably such a massive plot leak for The Rise of Skywalker uh, in earlier than the leaks have been for the other films. Apparently, one of the cast members, probably a main cast member, left their fucking script under their hotel or apartment <laughs> bed. And the cleaning person found it, gave it to one of their friends who tried to sell it on eBay, and they did sell it, but luckily they sold it to a Disney employee. So, who do you think this was? Well, I there, was a, there, there was some evidence being laid out there like, listen, if it was a full script, it, it has to be amazing. one of the stars because I, I believe it was Carrie Russell mentioned that she only got bits of the script that her character was involved in. Yeah. Uh, so it, it probably isn't someone like her, which means it was either a, a John, Daisy, Oscar, I think Adam. It was Boyega. That's... It's- yeah, it seems like a Boyega move because if you think about it, there's really only two people that I think it could be. You know what? I, I would I'm gonna I'm gonna put my money behind Oscar. See, like I don't think it could be Oscar because Oscar's been in big shit before. Like he's been in Hollywood a little bit longer, so he's like he seems smarter than that. Like he seems like he's more well, well, seasoned. I, I, I get you there, but here's my counterpoint to Boyega. Boyega is a clearly probably the biggest Star Wars fan out of the mains. True. So I, I'm thinking he would just have his inner fandom to know that that's a horrible thing to do. That's a good point. My second was going to be Daisy because both yeah, I, of them I, are like pretty not like they're not big in Hollywood. Like Daisy to me seems like somebody else who's like she she played in smaller roles. She's, you know. Again, like I don't think she's the biggest Star Wars fan. To your point about about uh, John being a huge one, like right. not a huge Star Wars fan. Not probably. I'm, st- I'm still going with though, just because she's a, a a woman. She's probably more together in the head probably. and not as forgetful with that type of shit. I, I really, I, I'm going to lean on Oscar. I mean, <clears throat> Adam's way too serious. Yeah, and he served in the military. This guy's not fucking up like that. Mm-mm. I, I could say Oscar, and I think it plays into some of what you're saying. He's he does this a lot. It's it's probably not new to him to be on these big productions. Yeah, he's probably just fucking was looking at his sexy beard in the mirror and pinching <laughs> his nipples one day, and he walked out and forgot it. Yeah, could be. Yeah, I mean, it's I definitely think it's one of the big three 
three light side guys. Like you said, Adam Driver, I don't imagine this. There's no way. No fucking way, dude. And then and he's so by the book business like. Yeah. But then also like I mean, I'm sure Adam would have gotten the full script, but if you think about you know, if they do end up giving people truncated scripts based off of what they need to know or, you know, what their characters directly interact in, then maybe he wouldn't have gotten as much as the resistance good guys. Cause I imagine we're going to see more of, you know, yeah. Daisy, John and, and Oscar than we are going to see of Adam. Just I, I still, I mean, I, I have no fucking clue, but even if you go back to the table read at TFA, uh-huh. All the main people in there all had the full script. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I could ask Star Wars hater number one, my stuntman buddy, what he would think, but he'd probably just tell me to go fuck off because he hates Disney Star Wars. So. <laughs> he, he, he dropped another one on me today. It, it's the clip we're going to talk about because he's in the camp of they're all worked up because of what's said in the clip. And it's like, really? This is the shit you guys analyze and get mad about? I but saw it, too, because I saw it. Well, we'll hold on. Let, we'll let's just it, wait yeah. for it. So up next, we got some shitty news from JJ this week. And we're not going to spend a ton of time on this because it's just going to get me angry. Uh, but we now know the final runtime for The Rise of Skywalker. And it has been changed greatly from the last time we talked about this when it was teased at 155 minute, which would have made it the longest Star Wars movie of all time. Well, my friends, it's lost 14 of those 155 minutes, making it not the longest Star Wars movie of all time. It's now only going to be two hours and 21 minutes, which to me is a fucking crime. And this is a f- the only time I'll sit there and start to worry a little bit like really really the last skywalker movie is not the longest it's also short it's shorter than attack of the clones by one minute oh my god that just makes it even worse you had to go and say that you You had to bring up that four-letter word Mm. i mean that that just makes this even worse than it is i mean i i get wanting to make a nice tight cut man but I mean, if this is truly the last Star Wars movie we're going to see for three years and the last of the Skywalker saga where we can never talk about the Skywalkers or any of these characters again, how is it not the longest Star Wars movie? And, and like, here's the thing. Like, you don't get director's cuts of Star Wars. or you. Don't I, get, I know. Like, that's Some people are like, oh, well, you know, we may get a director. I was like, what, are you a Star Wars fan? Like, w- name one fucking movie that's got a director's cut outside of the abomination changes George has made to the originals. Yeah, I mean that's, that's the closest we've gotten to a director's cut, and those are shit for the most part. Yeah, you're you're not gonna get that. And I mean, technically, if JJ's the one making the cuts here, like he cut it, then this is his cut. This is his director's cut. So, I I mean, I don't know if he was given directive by by Disney to, to shorten the runtime. I doubt that they did. Um, but yeah, I mean, it seems like yeah, yeah, I mean, the decision. At this point, what excuse could they make after what Endgame just did at a three-hour and four-minute long Yeah, runtime? They're, they're not going to fucking tell J.J., like, cut 14 minutes off there, of There's this. no fucking excuses. It's just it's mind-boggling to me. I mean, does it mean the movie's going to be terrible now? Absolutely not. It just I'm being a little whiny, entitled Star Wars fan at this point. And it, I'm sad. I want as much Skywalker Saga Star Wars as we can possibly get before it's all gone. Yeah. It's like, why do we have to be like, oh, we have to have a very tight cut for this one for some reason. So, oh, that that kind of bummed me out. And, and that's th- this is something that I do get a little concerned about. Not 
the first clip, which we're going to move on to here, with some of you getting all up in arms because of the lines they speak in this. All right, Nick, I'm sure you're aware of the controversy at this point. They fly now? Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> let's get into this. So we get a clip from The Rise of Skywalker. It's 30 seconds long. First off to the asshole who's probably not listening that was on our Instagram yesterday yelling at us for posting this clip. Uh, here's, here's two things for you. First thing, go fuck yourself. Second thing, this is an official clip that was released on GMA on every Star Wars social platform in the world. So get your head out of your ass and quit telling me what we can and can't post on fucking Instagram. Yeah, All right? we can definitely post that. <laughs> That's the first thing there. I mean, it's a fucking 30-second random click clip taken out of context anyways and and that's my first point about this clip like how can anyone get angry or judge this movie on this clip alone Uh, we have no context of what happens before or after the clip it's a clip yeah it's a fucking clip also this has been seen this this clip has been seen in pieces throughout other trailers like since the first trailer revealed celebration i mean we get Daisy's little moment. We we saw them racing through. We saw the what we at that point were speculating could be jet troopers yeah. flying in the air. Well, now we got an actual clip of that moment of that scene, a part of it. And and for the most, I'm not gonna lie, Nick. When I when I watch it and they, you know, you see the jet trooper fly off, and it starts with what I think three PO or Daisy going, they fly now. And yeah. then it's kind of like a comedy gag. We've seen it in other movies, other sitcoms. Yeah. And they just, rep- they basically telephone, telephone the line all the way down until it gets to Poe. And he gives the most sarcastic, they like fly now. they fly now. Like, Oh shit. Yeah. And apparently I'm not gonna lie. When I first watched that, I was like, eh, kind of cheesy, kind of cheesy, but out of context, who really knows in context, it probably will get a laugh in the theaters. And I walked away. I was like, for, for a Star Wars clip, that's about as much as I'd want to see. Right there, a, a random kind of throwaway action moment. But lo and behold, this, this blows up on, on social media because of, you know, the angry crowd. And, and my buddy, the first text I get from the angry stunt guy is this today. Just going with the shake in my head emoji, like, can you believe this fucking garbage they're putting out? Because of the they fly now line, Nick. So there's people that literally have their panties in a bunch over the fact that they think Ray, Finn, and Poe should already know that there have been jetpack wielding bad guys in the Star Wars universe sixty years before they were born. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, apparently someone pulled out a random Poe Dameron number one comic where apparently he saw what was called a rocket trooper. So they're like, see, see, JJ, you should at least fucking know Star Wars if you're going to do this shit. And Pablo and your story, you're fucking useless. And I'm just like, really? Like, they're going to these lengths already to start shitting on this movie because of how much they hate what Disney is doing with Star Wars. It's like... That was the furthest thing from my mind was, oh, you know what? I can't believe they said they fly now when they should fucking know that there's jetpacks in Star Wars. Yeah, it's like, what a bunch of idiots. These writers are fucking lazy. It's like, really? Like, that just shows how fucking whacked out some of these haters are. Yeah, it's so ridiculous. Like, if this, if this is what you're fucking focusing on, honestly, stop watching Star Don't watch The Mandalorian. Don't watch the new Oh, no, Mandalorian's okay because, you know, they're, they're, it's, <clears throat> it's a guy. You know, there's no girl lead. And, 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 and like that, so. it's apparently just like the original trilogy. 
The Mandalorian is as far away from the original trilogy as you can imagine. So just get that out of your heads. But and, like, and like even with the dialogue in this clip, I mean, who who even cares if they knew their jetpacks or not? I mean, go back and watch the dialogue that gets spoken in episodes four, five, and six. Yeah, like between the between the leads. I mean, it's just a bunch of gibberish. <clears throat> You know, back and forth, some quips here and there. It's not like you get anything too deep. And don't even get me started on the dialogue in the prequels. I mean, some of that shit is like mumble mouth, moronic nonsense speak. Yeah, it's. I, I just don't get the the reason to try to find outrage. Like, if you were to really immerse yourself in the world, then how the fuck would Ray know that there are flying troopers or have been flying troopers? in either the Imperial or Grand Republic eras. Like, there is no way that she would know that unless she was just all of a sudden became a historian on clone troopers and Imperial stormtroopers. Like, that's just not... It's just weird. I mean, I, I saw Jason from MSW. He, he felt compelled to put out a tweet basically saying, okay, everyone, the they refers to the First Order, not you know, bounty hunters and random shit from decades prior to when these characters were even born. Exactly. Like, like, all right, well, I guess we're, we're already getting into the thick of the bullshit, the finding stuff to hate just to hate. And that's how I'm like with my buddies. Like, dude, I mean, because even he, like, what drives me the most nuts about him is that I can tell he's trying to project his feelings on me as if I really feel the way he does but I don't want to admit it. And like, he's like, oh, you're just in, you're wallowing in denial. I'm like, what, who the fuck are you to tell me how I feel about some fucking fake ass sci-fi fiction? Yeah. I, I, like, I like, what the fuck, dude? It. Like, why do you people have to go that? If you want to hate it, hate it, but don't try to bring us people down that do derive some enjoyment from new star Wars. It, it doesn't make us weird. doesn't make us dumb. doesn't mean we're losers and we're, we're shills for Disney. It's it like, means we're fucking people and we like something that you don't and you feel the need to tear it down because you don't like it and you want to like it. Yeah. I mean, we stopped calling all of you people who think that the prequels are the best idiots a long time ago. So why don't you just, move you're on? still fucking idiots, <laughs> but I'm not going to sit here and talk about it all the time because it's counterproductive. It may, it, it's dumb. It makes it, me look stupid for yeah. making, points about other things it's, it doesn't it's help stupid. anything it's just so ridiculous so yeah right, so that's this, all this i wanted to say thing. on the clip it's like people if you're only engaged with new star wars to find ways to shit on it you're gonna do yourself and all of us a favor by just disconnecting yeah just leave it alone like nobody... I, I don't know i mean at this point you're probably borderlining you're you're bordering on a a psychosis of sorts, right? Where it's just like you're subjecting yourself to something you fucking hate, but you keep doing it over and over. It'd be like me touching a hot stove and go, man, that fucking sucks, but I'm going to keep fucking doing it. It's like, why? Why? Yeah. If you don't like Star Wars anymore, just let it go and just stick with the stuff you like. Yeah. We're trying to you, fucking piss on like our parade. It, like, you don't see me constantly watching Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom because I didn't like the movie. I watched it two times. And I didn't like it, and I was like, "All right, I'm I'm not gonna watch that movie anymore." Yeah, it fucking sucks. Yeah, I man, I don't blame you. Don't watch it; it's terrible. <laughs> so, all wait. right, man. Yeah, let's let's get off of that. We we've been talking a lot, but we are not done yet. We are here for probably the segment some of you are just now tuning in for, 
And that is our top five Star Wars fan artist features of the week. You know how it goes. I line them up throughout the week on our Instagram account, at Star Wars Time Show. And I go through and I look at the hashtag Star Wars Time Show. Or I just look at who's been tagging us. And I select shots that we feature on the account. And then Nick kind of looks throughout the week and picks his five favorite to feature on this segment of the cast. And that's what he's going to talk about right now, Nick. So... Who do we got? Who made the top five? How many troopers did you pick? The top five for this week. Oh. I mean, it's it's a very interesting week because we do have some buckets. They're oh, not there all is. troopers. Okay. Oh, there. Oh, okay. They're not all troopers, but there's <laughs> definitely some helmeted characters within yeah. the top five. I, I think Nick has a helmet for his uh, sexy time routines. I, you know, that's I how much he's in the helmets. There. I think I, they just look so good. They're so well crafted. But the first person up on our Top five this week does not have a helmeted figure in his uh, in his shot, and this is Sergeant Bananas, and I believe this guy is a legend of sorts. In oh the, no, you, you don't have community. to believe it. He is the he's probably the first ever mega popular toy photographer. Nick, I mean he he has a book out at this point. He's done guest spots on I forget that it's a very popular YouTube channel from the guys that used to make. Uh, Mythbusters, okay, what yes, it's called. Yes, yes. But anyways, yeah, Johnny, uh, Sergeant Bananas. The, the, the guy is, uh, it's like he almost made toy photography cool or kind of showed a lot of us, like, holy shit, you can do this with toys and practical effects. I mean, that that's really his thing is he's an ace at practical effects through lighting, fireworks, uh, spray bottles, this, that, and the other thing. So that this Yoda shots, yeah, I mean, vintage, vintage Sergeant Bananas. It is beautiful. I mean, like I, I look at this image and I can't tell that this is a toy. Like the way everything about it, like the way that the wind is catching or whatever is catching his his soft goods cloak, the 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 posing the the effects on the lightsaber even down to the hair on Yoda's head you can see individual strands of, of, right. of hair so Nick this is would be this is the Hot Toys prequel Yoda I think he's just coming out now so that's that's why the the figure has those level of details yeah I mean it's fantastic and just like the 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 pose that Sergeant Bananas has him in the background the the lighting everything about this looks absolutely fantastic and it just shows you like this is the great and powerful Grandmaster Yoda. And like, if you want to portray that, that figure in a way, look at this fucking image that Sergeant Bananas put out there. It's fantastic. Grandmaster, not Baby Yoda. Not Baby Yoda. But yeah, I just... I yeah, just it's awesome. It. I mean, Sergeant Bananas, clearly someone that's, that's motivated me to try to get better. I mean, you just look at the work. I mean, he, he usually will do... Uh, some BTS too, but like, everything's practical in here outside of the lightsaber. Yeah, uh, nothing in here is added digitally. I mean, Johnny does not fuck around with too much Photoshop, and that, that's why I love his shots. I mean, the, the, the lighting in particular is something I always try to uh, recreate in some of my shots, but always fail miserably doing so. <laughs> but all right, so at Sergeant Bananas, S G T B A N A N A S, you know how to spell bananas on Instagram. Just a just B a beautiful A N A N A S. Going back to Gwen Stefani. That's my girl. Um, next up, we have I I believe Most Isley Figures has made the top five previously. Yeah, I mean I'm not gonna lie, he's one of my one of my personal favorites. Every every shot he puts out catches my eye. I mean it never fails. I 
it's the way he poses it's the clarity it's the effects i always like how he leaves a lot of i guess you'd call it negative space above the figure yeah and i don't know man i mean just most likely this one in particular is of our homie cal kestis who i'm not gonna lie he's kind of a milk toast star wars character i mean i'm I'm only four chapters in the Fallen Order, but he's just like, okay, yeah, he's a guy. Yeah, it's uh, he's not a special character, and no. I'm not even as far as you. I mean, obviously, I had the whole week off and um, haven't been playing. I played a little bit when I got home and finally got through the vault things and everything like that. And, yeah, and I mean, we suck. We, we have zero coverage for Fallen Order, and I don't feel too bad about it because I just, you know. I, I've, I've chosen the shows at this point over the video game. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's like, granted... Look, we will say that, that the gameplay and everything about Fallen Order, the story that's being told is very interesting. But like, Oh, the game's great. I, I did a little ditty last week when I had to do a solo cast. I mean, I fucking hate the combat. It's everything I didn't want it to be, but luckily there's a moron mode. Uh, and even there, it's still, I don't like the combat. It's too weighty, too precise. I, I hate the, the Soulsborne mechanic. I think it's stupid. I don't get it. Uh, but everything else is fucking fantastic. The, the exploration's awesome. But yeah. just kind of coming back to most Eisley's shot here. Yeah, it's Cal Kestis. I mean, his his shot makes Cal look cool. Yeah, the in game a very does not. classic. Yeah, the, a, a very classic pose here, kind of like the Captain Morgan pose, you know, one leg up on a rock, ignited ah, lightsaber. Yes, hard, hard. Yeah, I mean, he looks fantastic. I mean, he does. He really makes Cal look like an interesting figure. And like you said, the the negative space, he doesn't try to pack the scene with anything. Like there's no, it's not like, you know, there's, you know, a, a, a diorama over here and other figures over here and shit in the foreground, shit in the background. Like it is a crisp shot of Cal posed well with a lightsaber extended. And that's yeah. the simplicity makes it so much. I, you know so what, much. Nick? I think I, I think that's why I like him so much because... Most Eisley figures kind of does what I prefer to do, and that's more the the portrait style, singular character focuses on the character. Uh, th- these shots to me are just they're they're more fun because I don't have to fucking stress out about posing and wires and dioramas and this that and the other thing. So I think that's why I'm kind of drawn to I am drawn to other portrait photographers because that's kind of what i do it's one of the easier things that i do so but he just it's always nice and simple where the the focus is on the figure and the figure is always lit in a way that just makes it seem alive yeah yeah absolutely so fantastic work here by most isley figures most mos underscore isley underscore figures on instagram fantastic work here sir next up is definitely this is a first time entrant to the star wars time top five <laughs> this great uh, this I, is, it's not quite baby yoda adorable but it's up there it is it's it's a fantastic shot by fallen apprentice all one word fallen apprentice on instagram and it's it's a pop shot right this, these are pop, uh, no, these are actually Neo these droids. are i think you call them nen nenendroids nenodroid yeah nendroids so Basically, they're they're chibi figures. So uh, yeah, yeah, they're, they're still the chibi, but these guys actually pose a bit, 
and uh, they're not. I don't think they're bobbleheads. I think they're actually actual figures. Nice. Okay, so these Nendroid figures. You have a Boba Fett, and then you have a Han and Carbonite, <laughs> and they're in Jabba's palace, and Han's Carbonite form is hanging up on the wall, and then Boba Fett's just kind of staring at him, like, "I finally got you, fucker." Yeah, that. Fucking I mean, dude, it's just got you. this whole thing is just a work of art. I mean, I, I, I have to imagine that. This is a legit Dio fallen built for this scene. Wow, okay. I don't think this toy set comes with that. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure the toy set comes with the Boba and Han and Carbonite. Uh, but like this, I mean, it actually looks like Jabba's Palace. It does. And you got some great lighting here. It's almost like a spotlight right on uh, Han. I mean, it just th- this whole thing is just staged perfectly and, and executed uh, in a way that y- y- these little goofy-looking chib guys look like they're in a movie. Yeah, no, it's fantastic, down to, like, the sand that he uses. And yeah. just everything about it is perfectly set up and staged by Fallen Apprentice. And if you're listening to this podcast, Fallen Apprentice, let us know what you did to kind of get this set up. Is this a diorama that you bought? Is this something that you kind of cobbled together yeah, what, what type of stage. what type of magic you working with here because it, it looks pretty magical i mean it's, was there yeah. pixie dust or is this all practical is there some photoshop in there i, I do want to give a shout out to uh, tx carlo who we featured last week nick when jared picked him sir dork uh but he actually followed up on some of the questions i had because i had to re-record and, and gave us some great insights into his shots so, i mean if you were listening last week TX Carlo does do a mix of practical and digital, as we were speculating. Uh, but he, he pretty much builds all his all his own dios and customs, and it was great. We got a bunch of shots in there. So Nick, if you're bored and go on Star Wars Time Show Insta, look for TX Carlo in our DMs. Uh, you get some good insights into the toy photography hobby for those that like to go practical and build stuff beautiful beautiful Uh, anyway yeah so fallen apprentice if you are listening which we hope you are and we hope you love it and then we hope you're going to sub and then you're going to tell all your friends and then they're going to sub and then you're all going to rate and review and then we're going to all have a good time yeah so uh, give this guy let us know give this guy a follow he's got 447 followers now so let's bump that number up see if we can get it around the 500 across that range because he's got some fun stuff he definitely photographs you know some of the chibi figures he also mixes it up a little bit um only 47 posts on his account so far so let's let's get fallen apprentice a little bit more love good stuff here by this guy um all right next up we have of course I am not going to go a top five without having a a Buckethead, a Stormtrooper, a First Order Trooper, a Clone Trooper in my top five. And basically, this is just a straight-up portrait of a Stormtrooper, a super clean, as you put it, Matt, in, in the in the caption, a super crispy, clean trooper. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, look at look at Nick. He's starting to use the uh, the terminology here for toy photography comments. I was, I was proud of him, but yes, <laughs> as Nick's right, that's exactly what I wrote in yeah, the caption. It's in the so. cap- but it is, though. I mean, it, it really is. It, it, it is super crispy clean. It's crispy because it's sharp. It's clean because it's shiny. And when I first saw this, I was going through, I was like, holy shit, this is really clean. I initially thought it was one of those, like, Battlefront 2 in-game captures. Like, we've featured some of those. Oh, yeah, previously. yeah. That or, I mean, hell, it could be a fucking set pick of just yeah. a dude standing in armor. I mean, I, I, this is probably the Hot Toys. 
I would think I, I'm looking in the tags. Yeah. yeah, I see six scale. Yeah, so it's probably Hot Toys. So yeah, you're, you, it's going to be a quality figure, but I mean, it just looks good. I, I feel like I mean, looking at this, I feel like I need to own a six scale Trooper just to have one. Yeah, I mean, this one and and the Calcasta shot for most Eisley figures really kind of highlights that you don't need to have you know, the incredible action oriented shots that we see from people like Sir Dork or from everything Kylo, like simplicity done right can stand out just as much as fireworks going off or, you know, explosions of sand and stuff like that. Like this shot with with the caveat that Instagram likes your account and hasn't buried it. Very true. Very true. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's a very simple shot, but it's, the simplicity and the cleanliness of this shot is what makes it stand out. Like I said, you can't tell if this is a, a one-six scale figure. You can't tell if this is a guy who's actually in a suit. You can't tell if this is a shot from, you know, Battlefront Two, one of the most high fidelity Star Wars video games ever made. Like it, it's just so well executed by um, by shooting the galaxy. I didn't even say the guy's name initially shooting at shooting the galaxy oh yeah that guy the artist that we're sitting here talking yeah. about and jerking <laughs> off jerking off over a shot yeah him yeah i mean <laughs> i mean and clearly too if you go on shooting's you know page he's got over ten thousand followers the guy is a fantastic artist all yeah, around he's legit he's legit um, it's a, you won't be disappointed in the follow i can assure you that yeah so um just excellent work here all around by by shooting galaxy at shooting the galaxy all one phrase there on instagram so fantastic work um final one and this yes. is one of our favorites here on star wars this is my boy dude, i'm not lying like super scoundrel he, he's getting up there in the uh, star wars time pantheon of killer fans because he interacts he, he gives us some stories here and there in the dms on ig but before we get into this apparently super scoundrel you know he i, I think he's in santa monica but he was working right across from the place where The Mandalorian had its three-episode premiere. Really? Uh, so when he was out in the alleyway, he actually got to say hi to Werner Herzog and a few of the other, um, maybe even Favreau. Wow. When they were, like, I don't know if they were outside smoking or leaving the venue, but he got to run into him. So anyways, wow. Super Scoundrel here as Nick picked. I mean, this is probably my new favorite Star Wars illustrator. I mean, anything Super Scoundrel puts out is getting featured. It just comes down to... Will IG hide it from me? Because sometimes he doesn't always tag us. Uh, but this one is of the armorer, Nick. And it's, I mean, th- this guy, like I said, he can't put out any any bad art in my eyes. Yeah. Least. I mean, just the way his, you know, this is his digital painting techniques and the way that he kind of brings these characters to life in a form that, I mean, like, we're, we're used to seeing the armorer kind of shadowed and you don't really get to see her that well but like he takes that that dark tone uses it but also makes it way more vibrant and like yeah it just pops you know what nick i just when i was looking at this you know what art style this almost looks like it's kind of that cell shaded animation right yeah yeah like did you ever see a scanner darkly yes yeah keanu reeves so like i i could almost see this version of the armorer in that movie walking around moving i mean that's kind of the style he's working with here it's not just a full-on cartoonish looking piece and there is a ton of realism but it it does have that cell shaded feel and i don't know if that's the application if it's digital 
I mean, the, the fucking art dude puts out is just ridiculous. I mean, you can tell the Mandalorian has motivated him as it has with, I mean, Venomous is another artist we featured before. Venomous also has a fire under his ass with uh, Mandalorian and some of the art he's putting out. I mean, it seems like as soon as these guys watch a new episode, they're good for at least five to six new pieces a week. Uh, so you, you don't want to, if you just like pure Star Wars art and not the toy photography stuff, people like Super Scoundrel has to be on your radar. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And look, you know, we talk about Venomous. Venomous has a massive following, you know, tens of thousands of followers. Super Scoundrel here can definitely, you know, earn, you know, get some more. He's sitting at 3,000 followers now. He should be up in the 10,000 plus range as well. I mean, this guy is an absolute killer artist i mean fantastic right. and, he's, and he's a good star wars time and fan so yes star we wars. like him and yeah he'll probably get more top fives than the rest of you that aren't good <laughs> fans that's just how we roll i'm not you know i'm not hiding any secrets here if you engage if you interact if you help promote the show well you know we're we're not uh above having our our wheels lubed up a little bit you know what i mean oh yeah so grease it up you get some top five action but at Super Scoundrel, at Super underscore Scoundrel. If you're into illustration type of art, if that's how you describe it, I don't know. I'm just going to say if you're into fucking rad-looking Star Wars art from fans, great follow here. Oh, yeah, 100%. So that rounds out the top five for this week. Um, and this is some fantastic shit. So I'm back in the saddle at least for now. I mean, I'm, obviously we're going to be having some Christmas break coming up. But that's still about a month away, so you can count on troopers and buckheads in the top five for the foreseeable future. But yeah, fan- fantastic. <laughs> yeah, see, that's another that. tip if you want to get featured on the top five. I mean, listen, to get featured on at Star Wars Time Show Instagram, you just got to take eye-catching art because I'll, I'll throw it up there. Trust me, I love this stuff. Nick's the one you got to work over to get on the podcast. So yep. trooper shots, hand jobs reach arounds you never know you never know what he'll be in the mood for that particular week so all right my friends just real quick some show notes for you moving forward this is a holiday week here in the states so we're only doing one show this week this that's why this one is damn near two hours long uh we'll not be having our special topic show but we'll we'll probably be getting back to those next week we'll get, get back to our two episodes per week at least up until the Christmas holiday then I'm sure we may shut things down a bit or or maybe do lighter type shows uh, to get through that week of family holiday fun so in between now and then you know it's it's time to do the dance the help us out dance and all you have to do really is just go to starwarstime.net get subbed up to the podcast if you're not already there get subbed up to the YouTube channel if you're not already there and let's just say you are there maybe this is a good time to just go over there and browse around starwarstime.net see what type of articles are up there you know sometimes we don't always talk about stuff we put up on the site on the cast so there could be star wars nuggets you are missing on a weekly basis because you do not have your browsers tuned to StarWarsTime.net. But if you are subbed up to all of our fun little channels to have uh, to consume the Star Wars Time show, make sure while you're there, listen to the, the latest episode. Give it a rating. Give it a review. Give it a like. Give it a comment even. I love all the comments on YouTube, by the way. So the YouTube army, keep it up. Podcast army, keep it up. Keep those like, rates, reviews, comments going and going and going because it only helps us in the long run 
like I've been saying, we're not taking money, but we will take your social media love and praise and acceptance. Yes, we are shallow motherfuckers, but what do you expect from two guys that talk about Star Wars for up to three hours a week in their basements? This is the Star Wars Time Show. There's always time for Star Wars Time. And remember, if you listen to the Star Wars Time Show podcast, the Force will be with you. Always. (laughs) Thank you.